Welcome to Mindvine, a mental health podcast for everyone. Since our first episode in 2016, we have been sharing stories of recovery, engaging with experts, and tackling the stigma associated with mental illness. The Mindvine podcast is produced by Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences and is available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Mindvine Podcast. My name is Daryl Mathers, and this is episode 94. Uh, as we get closer to 100, um, I'm proud to have uh, our next guest and uh, talk about something that's really timely. Um, we're going to talk, you know, we're going to talk mental health. We're going to talk mental health in the Black community, given it's uh, Black History Month. Uh, and this is guest, he's got a, a zillion different titles. He's done two TED Talks and He's been on KMH's 150 Difference Maker list. He's a considered activist, a speaker, mental health advocate, and um, connection with Ontario Shores uh, from years back. Uh, I'd like to welcome Asante Houghton. Welcome, Asante. Hey, it's good to be here. Good to be working with Ontario Shores. Yeah, it's been it's uh, hard to believe. So just to years. fill people in, yeah. um, you know, a decade ago... Um, Ontario Shores produced a adolescent youth ment- or adolescent mental health documentary um, featuring the stories of uh, of three individuals, and you were one of the three that were featured in the documentary. And mm-hmm. uh, it was a tool that allowed uh, Ontario Shores to go into schools and in different settings, uh, community presentations, even film festivals, to kind of uh, ignite conversations uh, around mental health and. And you were uh, brave enough back then to to share your story, and it seems like you've been doing it ever since. So, um, maybe just talk about um, what you remember from that period of time with the documentary. It was called uh, Three Three Voices, and you can still find it on the internet and other places. But what do you remember about that time? Oh man, uh, it was it was such an interesting time in my life because I was just discovering myself. Uh, that was one of the first things I actually did in mental health advocacy. Uh, so, I mean, it was a pretty big thing, but certainly one of the first things I ever did, uh, probably, you know, maybe a less less than a year or so into my advocacy career. Uh, so it was, it was just an interesting time. I just moved out on my own for the first time. I had like no <laughs> furniture. Uh, you know, it was, um, it was just, you know, it was, it was that transition period really of becoming an adult. And, you know, I don't know if I would say I was brave enough to do it. I was probably just naive at the time. I didn't realize the the extent or the magnitude of what I was agreeing to when they, when they asked me, but, um, it was, it was, it was a fun time. It was really interesting to kind of see how these things get done from like an artistic technical standpoint, but also, uh, you know, it's interesting to look back sometimes at like what I was saying at that time and then, you know, 10 years later now connect to where I am in my life. And, you know, one of the things I, I talk about in that documentary is, you know, my ambitions to become a, a, a psychologist or a psychotherapist. And I never became that. But uh, I, I found my way to essentially have, you know, a similar impact in a lot of different ways. Uh, so it's it's. It's really cool that we did the documentary. It's a really good documentary, actually. Like, it's I'm not just saying that because I'm in it, but it's really good. Um, and yeah, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I met Stella, um, who you know we become really good friends. Actually, we're really close now. Um, uh, you know, so for me, there was just I don't know. It was, it was just a really it was it was in some ways a challenging time in my life because of transitions, but also. 
uh, a great time in my life because it was just such a period of discovery for me. Uh, and I was discovering myself and discovering other people and discovering who I want to be in the world in, in a way that was positive for once <laughs> rather than the first like 25 years of my life, which was really hard. Well, you, you know, you talked about, you know, telling your story for the first time and and in the documentary or at least in such a public way. Um, you know, for people who are familiar, like what was your, what is your connection, you know, to mental health, uh, you know, that led to the documentary and other advocacy work? Yeah, so uh, my connection with mental health is uh, I have lived experience of depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation. Um, and, you know, mental health challenges are something that other family members of mine have experienced, you know, my mom, she gives me permission to talk about her story. So, uh, you know, my mom got really sick, unwell when I was about 15, 16 years old. And that was really tough for me because it just really came out of nowhere. Uh, we had no idea my mom was struggling whatsoever until one day the crisis line showed up at our house. Um, and that's how we found out. So, you know, for me, just being one of my mom's main caretakers during that time as a teenager, which is a very formative part of your life, but also experiencing mental health challenges at that time and, you know, beyond, even after my mom started to get a lot better, I, I kept experiencing challenges myself. Um, eventually, I was able to, you know, get some help and also do a lot for myself that was helpful. And, of course, you know, getting a job and not being poor anymore helped a lot. Um and, and, you know, but those things, those experiences really motivated me to want to give back and support others because it was a really hard time for me. And I think sometimes that I think about what I needed when I was 16 years old and I want to be able to provide, you know, not necessarily just what I needed in terms of like services and that stuff, but the understanding of what it's like to go through that at that age. Um, and that's something I'm often trying to do is trying to get people who I speak to or advocate with to understand the experiences of those who are experiencing, you know, the dark period in their life or the mental health challenge or whatever you want to call it. Because I think that when folks can really sympathize or empathize with that experience, then they're more motivated to take action, to make a difference and to make a change. <laughs> when you talk about, you know, sharing your story and, that experience, uh, you hear a lot today about uh, people, you know, like living their truth, right? Like my truth. And essentially, you know, the way I interpret that is like just putting everything out there, right? Like who you are and how you feel and everything like that, which is essentially what you've, you've done, you know, like you're, you know, you can Google, you know, your name and you're going to find out uh, a lot about you, um, about, you know, intimate details of your life. Yes. So what's like, what's that experience like when, you everything's out there you know your whole truth for the the world to see and uh you're still living your day-to-day -day life i try not to think about it too much <laughs> because if i do think about it too much then it becomes scary uh it's just it's i'm i'm naturally actually a private person so it's really interesting that publicly there's so much about me out there um but I, you know for me that was a conscious choice and it was a choice that I made because I knew that my experience could be illuminating for others. 
uh, or or provide hope for others, you know, depending on what side of the coin you're on, whether you're the service user or the service provider, right? So um, that's the main reason that, you know, I do it. Um, I think stories are really important. Uh, I'm a storyteller by nature. I've been consuming stories since I was a little kid through a variety of different mediums. I mean, I've read a lot of books, watched a lot of movies, played a lot of video games, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just consumed a lot of stories. And at first it was just, you know, I, I like stories when I was a kid, whatever. Um, then I, you know, started to get to 12, 13, 14 and started to realize I can take things out of these stories that can become life lessons for me. And when I started to engage in stories in that way, they became even more important. And rather than just, you know, reading or playing or watching the story that was fun, I would look for stories that would help me to understand my experience and to help provide me with hope that I can escape whatever challenges I was dealing with and really find a way out. So for me, I want to be able to illuminate other people's stories or, or to tell my story or, um, you know, just really do what I can to bring people into the experience of what it's like to go through something challenging because, you know, oftentimes, you know, you, me, whoever, we go through a hard time in our life. Uh, you know, we tell our friends or our family, we talk about it and they'll say all the right stuff in the sense of, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you and, um, you know, what can I do to help? And those are great things, uh, but there's an extra level that we can get to once we kind of understand, like, this is what somebody was feeling, thinking, experiencing during that time. And it gives us more insight into what we can do to not just support them in that moment, but to, you know, be proactive and to build structures that will support people, uh, you know, in a proactive way. So, um, for me, that's the main reason why there's so much about me out there. It's, you know, uh, people have been telling me since the very, very, very first time I got up on stage and told my story that my story can be very helpful or very inspirational. So uh, I feel like it's a, it's a bit of a duty and a responsibility for me to have my story out there knowing that it can and has helped so many people. I notice, you know, like you wear a lot of hats in terms of, you know, like what what you do, yes. you know, for for a living. Like how do all the things that you do, you know, maybe what are some of the things that you do besides speaking uh related to mental health? Like how does it all work together? You know, it's interesting. It it all points back to mental health and and you know, maybe even on a more you know, to go a little bit deeper, it really points to connection. Um, everything that I do is really about connection and, and bringing people together. Um, and, you know, I, I think one thing that I always struggled with was being put into a box. Because when, when I was a kid, I was really good at school and I got good grades. So everyone wanted to put me into that intellectual box. But school was not my main interest. My main interest was sports and, and music and, and creative things. Um, those were where my interests lied, right? So, you know, as I got older and I had more opportunities to kind of just do some cool stuff, you know, for me, I'm, I'm really trying to have fun with my life. You know, it's not just, hey, let me get my nine to five and, you know, that becomes my main role. It's, yeah, you know, in my nine to five, I train peer supporters, right? Um, but, you know, outside of that, 
you know, I, I can co-found an organization and advocate for change in, in my city or I can work on, uh, you know, a show called Cypher, you know, where uh, we work with musicians and we, you know, those musicians help to turn real life stories into songs um, or you know, I write for Inspire Magazine, or now I, I co-host a podcast for Inspire Magazine, and you know, talking a lot about youth mental health issues and issues around equity and diversity. Um, you know, so for me, it's just, you know, how do I bring all of my interests? I want to live all of my interests in my life. We only have one life, and I really want to make the most of it. And all of the things that I do are really fun and they're meaningful for me. So. If I have the opportunity to do it and, you know, the time sometimes, not all the time, uh, I, for me, it's it's like, why not? I, I don't feel like we should limit ourselves to just one thing if we know that we're interested in more than one thing. And so for me, I just wanted to be an example of that uh, just to kind of say, hey, I know people wanted to, you know, everyone thought my trajectory would be school, university, master's, Ph.D., and that would be it. But, you know, I didn't really want to do my master's and PhD. I mean, I dabbled. I, I, I kind of, you know, played with the idea for a while and I realized I didn't want that. Um, and I wasn't investing in it well enough to even achieve it, probably because I didn't want that. Um, I wanted to help people and I wanted to get on the ground and I wanted to I wanted to do it as soon as possible when I was leaving university. I didn't want to wait an extra, you know, four or five, six years to do that. Um, but, you know, I also grew up as a rapper. Like, I spent a lot of time rapping when I was a kid. Um, and even before that, uh, you know, one of my first ambitions was to be an animator and to draw. And then in high school, I thought about what if I could make film? Um, so all these things were always, like, a part of me. It's just as I have, you know, I, I, as I just had more and more opportunity to get involved in certain things, I said, yeah, so... Um, it's really cool now to be doing, you know, my nine to five, but also advocacy, but also, um, you know, working with Sony Music on stuff or Vice Media or whoever. And it's just, I don't know, I feel really blessed to, to be able to contribute, you know, in so many different ways and to, for everything to always lead back to the things that I'm really passionate about, which are mental health and equity. You know, in the mental health space and even, you know, beyond that, you know, you're 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 a bit of a celebrity right like you you speak at a lot of conferences and you're obviously <laughs> are all over you're all over uh, the internet as well as i mentioned earlier but um you know for those of us who work in mental health and or people that uh, uh you know have lived experience with mental health you know there's a good chance they've come across you know something you've done or they've been somewhere where you've spoken when you're having those what are those interactions like when people come up to you after whether it's you know a speaking engagement or some type of an event or recognize you somewhere like what are those what are kind of the interactions you have with people you know i i think probably the one that is still weird to me is when people recognize me from somewhere it's like you know it doesn't happen too often but sometimes i'll be like on the street you know i remember one time i was at the jazz festival in toronto and you know a young man walked up to me and said hey i remember when you did this such and such thing here and there i was like wow, that's, that's cool. That was two years ago and you still remember that. Um, you know, so uh, I like when that happens, particularly because it, it means I made an impact and, you know, I was memorable in, in some way. Um, and if I'm memorable, hopefully that means that I said something or did something that someone could walk away with and use in their own life to make their life a little bit better. Um, 
you know, whenever I do a talk and people come up to me afterward, that's it's also a little weird for me in the sense that people kind of put you on this pedestal. And sometimes I'm like, am I deserving of that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, but I, a lot of it is really that I like to diminish power differentials. And a huge part of my message is d- diminishing power differentials. So it feels weird when people put you on a pedestal and they look at you as different than them fundamentally as a human being when that's not the case. You know, I just maybe had different opportunities. Uh, I don't think I'm that special in terms of I don't think I'm more special than any other human. I think I'm pretty good at certain things like, you know, I'm good at talking to people and connecting and and, you know, leadership and, you know, those things and relationship building. Uh, I'm, I'm good at those things. But it doesn't mean that I'm better than anybody else on a level of humanity. Right. So, uh, you know, that that's the part that gets weird for me sometimes is because I think we've been trained by society to look at celebrities or famous people or or folks who have achieved something that's different from us fundamentally. But, you know, my experience in, in life, you know, I worked in a nightclub for five years in the entertainment world and I met, you know, a bunch of celebrities and you get to talking to them and they're just regular people who are really good at a thing and probably get paid a lot of money for it. Now, maybe I'm really good at a thing. I don't get paid a lot of money. But, but, um, but um, you know, I, I think the thing I always try to emphasize is that, you know, I have talent in certain areas. That doesn't mean that I, I'm better than anybody. Like, we're all still on an equal playing field. It's just, you know, for me, a lot of it is just, I said yes to everything when I was younger because... I wanted to help people so bad. I had a lot of free time. And I also, you know, some of it was paying, so I, I needed some money too. So, uh, you know, a lot of it just started there. And then, you know, you say yes enough times and people are like, hey, this is someone who's generous with their time. <laughs> they keep approaching you. And, you know, if I have time, I just say yes to things and I just keep going and kind of see how it all works out. I never really planned to be this person. I always thought that, I would leave university and kind of live a quiet life, uh, you know, with my very small circle of friends, and that would be it. But obviously, life has turned out a lot differently uh, for me. I, I, I don't even, like. I, I haven't googled myself in many years, and can't even imagine how many pages are. I mean, my, my you know, I got fat, I got people around me who do it, who Google me sometimes. They're like, "Hey, you got so many pages." I'm like, "That's cool," but I don't know. I try not to think about that stuff i try to just think of myself as you know a normal human being who's trying to you know provide for his family and have fun you know with just with my people with my friends and stuff like that that's what it's about for me a lot of people have been on a mental health journey whether it's similar years or or different um you know one common thing they they suggest is that they, you know, they felt alone when they were going through this, right? Like if you talk about, you know, if you oh, talk yeah. about, you know, that time in your life when your mom was ill and you're dealing with your own stuff. And um, I wonder, you know, I, I'm guessing that you didn't really see yourself in represented uh, in the world in terms of like, there's a guy who looks like me, 
who has a mental health or you know issue or has depression has anxiety and mm-hmm. now you're, you're you're the kind of that guy for people right like so if there's you know if somebody's googling mm-hmm. something and they're looking you might be somebody that you know that uh, connects with a, a young person who is going through something similar that you did and how you know how does that idea that uh, people are looking up to you young people uh and being inspired to reach out for help because of something you've you've done i think it's awesome uh, you know because that's why I, I that that's one of my main reasons for doing this is i grew up and i didn't see anybody like me in the mental health space right so it was to such an extent that i didn't realize that maybe what i was dealing with my challenges were mental health related i thought maybe it was just teen angst or you know just something of that nature self-esteem issues confidence and i mean yeah overlap with mental health challenges but there i had i I had depression and anxiety pretty bad um and i didn't know anybody who looked like me who was openly talking about it so uh you know in grade 12 i read this autobiography um it was the autobiography of antoine fisher i think it's called finding fish And it's about this African-American guy who essentially grew up with more trauma than, like, if you, the whole book is, like, not safe for work. Like, it's so much trauma in that book um, of every kind of abuse you could imagine. And anyways, this, you know, African-American dude who grew up with all this trauma, you know, struggled in so many ways growing up in his formative years because of that trauma, couldn't connect with people um, had a lot of trouble making friends, but was still kind of well-liked, you know, ended up in the military as a young man, met a mentor. That mentor really helped him to sort through a lot of issues, you know, helped him to get some help. And then after that, kind of had a normal life, except for the fact that he had a movie made about him. But, but you know, but otherwise, um, you know, just kind of lived a normal existence. And so... When I read that book in grade 12, it completely changed what was possible for me. Uh, Because here I saw another black man who went through some very difficult things, poverty, trauma, isolation, loneliness, the lack of confidence, all the things I was experiencing. And he made it out and he got married and he got a house and what, you know, just lived a regular life. And, you know, at 17, 18 years old, when I was, like, losing hope, it was that story that gave me hope, right? So now, you know, earlier I was saying that it's a bit of an obligation or a duty for me to be who I am and to represent what I represent. Um, It doesn't feel like an obligation, by the way. I I don't mean it in that way. But it's, it's just that I know that the same way Antoine Fisher's story helped me, Asante Houghton's story can help someone else. And, you know, so for me, it, that's that's really what it's about. And I've had so many young people say, yo, you're the first guy who ever said what I needed to say or who said something that really connected with me or your story is so similar to mine. I can't talk about my family members' mental health challenges and how that's impacting me with my friends. And, you know, sometimes there's like the most popular kids in the school, Right or coming up to you and saying this stuff. So you never know who who's struggling or who needs to hear the story. 
And so, yeah, I might get up in front of 100 people, 500 people, 1,000 people, 2,000 people, whatever it is, and tell my story. And, you know, everyone claps. I know that, you know, it's probably going to be some large percentage of people who are going to walk away and say, well, that was nice, you know. (laughs) But then there's going to be a smaller percentage of people who say, wow, that's going to really help me figure out what I'm going through. And so I just want to be that person for the people who need it. So, you know, I, the stories are so important for me. And me being, me being a black male, um, you know, I, I, I think I have, you know, like a black male with like masculine energy and, you know, someone who's really into sports. And, you know, like I'm kind of like a, a guy type, you know, people have called me like a bro before, you know, that kind of thing. I don't, I don't consider myself that way, but, um, but, you know, I grew up in poverty. I, I'm from, you know, the projects, you know, as a rapper growing up, kind of, you know, I played basketball, like, it's like all these things. I wear my hair out like this. Um, you know, for me, it's about representation and for, you know, people who look like me to see me and say, hey, I can make something of myself despite the challenges. And then for people who don't look like me to see me and say someone who looks like that can still be a very productive member of society. So when they see someone else who looks like me, who where in the past maybe their bias would get in the way of them seeing the potential in a person because they've met me or seen my message, maybe now, you know, I've helped them to reduce that bias so that they can interact with more diversity in such a way where everyone is being supported. So, you know, these are the things I think about all can the you time. Share, you know, share a lot of that on social media. If you follow Asante on Twitter, you'll see that he's passionate about a lot of things. Uh, most recently about getting Fred Van Vliet voted <laughs> yes. or, uh, named to the All-Star team, which <laughs> was successful. Um, but yeah, you tweet a lot about basketball, but you also tweet a lot about mental health. And yep. uh, in particular about like mental health, you know, as it relates to the black community and, you know, as a middle aged white man and representing, you know, kind of that population, we hear the term like mental health in the black community. And some people might say, well, why like why isn't it just mental health in the community? Right. Like why is what's so different about mental health in the black mm-hmm. community? And I'm wondering if you can help people understand when we say, you know, when when activists and 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 advocates are talking about changes uh, in terms of mental health and providing service in the black community. What, you know, what are they talking about? Well, you know, I I think the first thing is to dissect why people are asking the question, why mental health in the black community or why mental health in the trans community or why mental health in whatever community, like, you know, why is that a question we're asking, you know, uh, what is wrong with, you know, different communities having their own, you know, perspectives and experiences and lens through which they see, uh, you know, the, the ways in which they want to live their life or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, the reality is that, you know, in Canada, we have tried really hard to be good at diversity by washing it away, to pretend by pretending it's not there. Um, And I think recently we're learning that that's not the right approach and that a better approach is actually to acknowledge all of the diversity that exists and and to acknowledge that that diversity inherent within it is people have different life experiences and ways in which they see the world, Um, you know, so much so that the culture that you grew up in will influence the kinds of delusions and hallucinations that you have if you have schizophrenia, for instance. 
right? Um, or, you know, a disorder where you're having those kinds of psychotic symptoms, right? So it's really important that we do look at things along the dimension of difference because, you know, mental health in the black community, you know, obviously one of the big challenges that we deal with is racism, um, right? Um, but it's going to look different for, you know, mental health in, you know, the, the Indian community or mental health in the Chinese community or mental health in the Brazilian community or wherever because our, our cultures are different, uh, which means the way that we think about health, wellness, identity, you know, who we are as people, all these things are so different, how people treat us, um, how society treats us, you know, our, our power and privilege, all these different things. Um, so it's important uh, to, I think, differentiate when it makes sense to differentiate because if we're not making that, you know, those distinctions, then we're not really helping people in the best way possible. It's like, if I'm, I do this a lot, I use sports analogies. So if, if, I'm, if I'm coaching a player, and you know whatever the sport and i see they're pretty good but they can get better am i just going to tell them to practice more or am i going to say you need to work you know for talking hockey you need to work on your stick handling basketball you need to work on your dribbling soccer you need to work on you know your defense whatever it is right um but the point is to be able to break it down to the, in, into pieces such that the work that you do is more meaningful and has more of an impact. So if we generalize across the board, we want to make mental health better for everybody, but we don't take into account the differences that, you know, different identities, communities are facing, then we might kind of make mental health better for everybody, but not to the extent that we could if we were to look at, you know, each group differently and to say, let's maximize you know, the potential of whatever intervention we're trying to do with that group by focusing specifically on their unique challenges and the unique solutions that need to be exercised in order to get to where we want to get to. So I think that's really what it's about. Um, you know, within the black community, of course, a huge thing is just, you know, racism. And of, of course, another piece is poverty. Um, you know, our, our history is such that slavery was a real thing. And slavery was a huge interruption to uh, the family unit, a huge interruption uh, to, to wealth building. And of course, it also, you know, was based upon, you know, the idea that black folks were less than others in a variety of different ways, less human, less intelligent, less whatever, more violent, you know, all these different things. Um, and, you know, these ideas sometimes, many times, you know, carry forward in our society um, and that impacts how we're treated and how we're treated impacts our mental health and our, our opportunities. Um, you know, for me, I look at things like, yeah, it sucks if someone calls you the N-word. Like, yeah, that hurts, you know? What also hurts is me not being able to get a job because of systemic discrimination. And that's going to have way more impact on me uh, in terms of my mental health and, you know, someone who calls me the N-word on the TTC or whatever, uh, you know, so um, TTC is <laughs> Toronto Transit Commission or Transportation, yeah, I, I don't know who's listening. <laughs> so, um, but so I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, it's important to understand what challenges different groups are dealing with so that we can help to mitigate those things, but also develop treatments and interventions that work 
for the people who are using them. Um, you know, therapy was hard for me because I, at the time I was doing therapy, I couldn't find anyone who had a similar experience to me. So, uh, you know, I ended up getting therapy from people who are, you know, different identities. You know, a person who I really liked was, you know, she was a white woman. Um, she was really effective. Um, but it was still challenging for me to discuss certain things uh, with regard to race and identity, which were, you know, huge problems for me at that time in my life. As I was trying to figure out my place in the world as, as this, you know, essentially this black man from the projects who was entering all these spaces where I was the only person who looked like me. And so, you know, the double-edged sword of that was that I was entering these spaces and I was the only person, you know, I was the only black man from the projects in these spaces. So people, you know, there's, they treat you differently. Then I was going back home to my own community and I was being treated, I was being treated different. I was being treated differently there because I was, you know, putting myself in all these spaces where I was the only black person. And, you know, that there's a stigma with that sometimes, you know, within our own community. Right. So, um, so it was really challenging for me to like learn how to navigate like who I am while trying to balance out the, you know, different worlds I was living in and the ways in which I was being treated in those different worlds. So it's, that's kind of an, an example of why that the diversity piece is important because, you know, yeah, the general therapy gave me a lot of tools and a lot of stuff, but after I ended therapy, I still had to work through all that other stuff, mostly on my own. Um, or, you know, with mentors and other folks who I found along my journey who really helped me to deal with the identity. Yeah, like as you're, you know, you're explaining that, like lots of things are going through my head. But I just think about, you know, when you have a physical health injury, so you have a broken leg or broken arm, you know, you're you might, um, you know, you go to the doctors, go to the hospital, whatever. You know, there's certain fixes for it. you don't necessarily have to be uh, comfortable um, to, to have a cast put on your leg or your arm. But when you're talking about mental health and you're at a point where you're reaching out for help, like people who aren't experiencing discrimination, uh, oftentimes switch therapists because they don't connect with them. Um, or, you know, they go through <laughs> different treatments because they're trying to find the right one. And that's, uh, and that's without discrimination. Then you add on layers where somebody is in dire need of help and reaching out for help, but they're not in a culturally sensitive environment. Like the, it just seems like an, you know, mm -hmm. an insurmountable barrier, uh, you know, to, to receiving mental health care. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Um, and that's a huge barrier for a lot of folks who are not white in Canada, trying to uh, trying to access the mental health system or folks who are not heterosexual trying to access the mental health system or not cisgendered or what have you, you know, anything that's, you know, deemed outside of the norm, uh, I think makes it a lot more challenging uh, for folks who live outside of the quote unquote norm to access the mental health system. So, um, you know, uh, there, I think, I think there's a shift happening. Uh, I see it. My LinkedIn is just filled with black <laughs> therapists. Like I love it. Um, and, and for me, you know, when I was growing up, I just didn't, they just, for me, black therapists just didn't exist. Maybe they were out there and I didn't know, but I, I actually think that there's been a huge influx in the last, you know, five or 10 years, 
primarily probably because there's, you know, a lot of us who kind of went through the same thing where, you know, we went through things and where a family member went through something and there was no one around who looked like us who could understand our story, uh, who could help us. And, and I think that's the uh, important piece I want to highlight too. It's not just, you know, do we share the same skin tone or the same nationality? It's, it's really about stories. And, you know, so there are people I've met who are from a different culture and background from me, but we share very similar stories. So we connect super, super tightly. Right. And then there are people who, you know, come from, you know, the same nationality as me, um, you know, same skin color. But we don't connect because our stories are so divergent. You know, they grew up middle class, upper class, and I grew up poor. And because of that, we just, you know, we perceive the world differently. Right. So um, I, I think, it, you know, we have to think in a bit of a more nuanced way, not just say, let's just hire any black person. Um, it's like, you know, rather than that, it's like, who is your population? Um, you know, I work in a, a project called the Community Healing Project. And what we do is we work with young people from Toronto, from, you know, neighborhoods where there's, a, you know, a higher incidence of community violence. And we support them through the trauma, the, the impact of community violence, which is, you know, trauma. Um, and, you know, the large majority of these young people are people of color. But that doesn't mean that we just hire anybody who's a person of color who wants to do this job who has a social work degree, right? We hire people whose lived experience is similar to the lived experience of the young people we're serving. So essentially what that means is, you know, probably a person of color, not always, to be honest, but, you know, probably a person of color. Um, but more importantly, someone who has experienced community violence, right? Because that's who we're working with. You know, just with it being Black History Month and, um, you see a lot of things on social media. I'm not sure if you've had, you know, just given your prominence, if you've had more requests to, to you know, kind of talk about mental health in the black community because it's February. Um, but as, you know, as we move through the month and, you know, the last, you know, I think the last couple um, February since George Floyd, I really noticed the, you know, a difference in the kind of the conversation and where it's going and obviously what's going on and, uh, in the indigenous communities, like it really feels like things are are mm -hmm. changing, or at least the conversation is. You know, from your perspective as a, a black man, a mental health advocate, you know, what is your hope? You know, for Black History Month, you know, what do you hope that you know is being discussed? What do you hope that people take from it? And I mean, what do you hope? And you know, come March, what do people <laughs> uh, you know continue to talk about? <laughs> uh, you know, for me. My hope has always been that we don't need Black History Month anymore because we're so well integrated into society just on a day-to-day -day basis. And our, our, our stories and experiences are, are respected and, uh, you know, given enough, you know, voice and, and you know, we're, we're perceptible to others in, in a way that we haven't been and we're working toward now. Um, you know, that, that's my that's my dream really is that we don't need a black history month anymore because we're just history. We're a part of it. We're included, you know, we're, you know, not just like included in the sense of, yeah, you know, let's tell the stories, but like included in society in a meaningful way where you walk into a boardroom and your expectation isn't that you're only going to see a white male at the head of the table. 
right? You know, it, it's like that's the kind of change I hope to see. Um, and, you know, so, but, you know, generally speaking, uh, you know, what's been really interesting about the George Floyd moment, and, you know, I've probably posted about this many times on social media and talked about it all over the place where wherever people let me talk about things, but um, is there's been a noticeable jump in my career after George Floyd was murdered. And I don't think I'm working any harder. In fact, I'm probably working less hard, you know, um, but now that black people are being seen and valued, all of a sudden my income is like, you know, what I used to charge for a talk is a lot less than what I charge for a talk now. And nobody is asking me to negotiate now. And people used to ask me to negotiate all the time, you know, when I would charge a lot less, like a lot less than I do now. Um, now people are like, yeah, well, you know, give you the money. Uh, but it's not about the money, but well, sometimes <laughs> it is good to be talking about building wealth yeah. and opportunity. So sometimes it is about the money. Well, sometimes not to um, cut you off, but, but like money is um, an indicator of equality and equity, right? Like, Eggs, there it is. There it is. And, and not just how much you have, but the opportunity to make it, right? Um, so, you know, for me, as, as, you know, what I hope from Black History Month is that, you know, we, we stop talking about only, you know, inventors and Harriet Tubman and, and the Underground Railroad. Like, there's so much more to Black history and Black people than slavery and what we've invented. You know, and slavery is a very important story that we need to tell more in a much more nuanced way and to really not just talk about slavery in the sense of black people were enslaved. But I think it's really important that people understand and know the horrors of slavery and the things that happened, because I don't think people really get it. And I can mention some things now, but I won't because... I don't want to trigger anybody, but if you really read the history and read the accounts of the ways in which slaves were treated, it's it's hard to fathom how people could even imagine such acts of violence. It's just ridiculous, right? So, and I think that's you know the part of the slavery conversation that's missing, or the the, the part around you know the the damage was not just the physical violence, but taking uh, cultures away, taking languages away. It's like you, you, you have left an entire, you know, group of people you have brought forcibly from their homeland and essentially said, be like us, but don't be like us at the same time. And, you know, there's, there's no cultural anchor there except what had to be created from scratch uh, you know, by the folks who are resilient or lucky enough to survive. Um, you know, so, you know, the, the, for me, I, you know, it really hit me back when, you know, all these like Ancestry.com things were coming out. And, you know, reluctantly, I logged on, not expecting to really find anything because slavery. Um, and then I log on and, of course, you know, I put in all my information and, they can't trace my family tree back. You know, my family tree, as far as I know, goes back four generations, and that's it, you know? Uh, and, you know, that last generation was my great-grandmother, who was a slave. Um, you know, so it's like, this stuff is not that far away from us, 
you know, and, and there's such a tremendous impact, and that impact is loss of history and loss of culture. And when you lose history and culture, you lose yourself. And now we're in this fight to, you know, to kind of to kind of reintegrate not only with ourselves, but within society in such a way that, you know, we have real meaningful inclusion. So I, I just really want people to walk away from this month and, and to know that the stories are a lot deeper than the ones that are currently being told and uh, to, to really invest in, in knowing the history of black folks, but all people. Because it's really important for us to know those things so that we can build a really inclusive society. Well, I mean, you, you know, raise a number of points. It's, it's really remarkable, you know, how far we've come just in a short period of time in terms of opening those doors, but also like just scratching the surface of generational trauma and and other topics that uh, we just haven't gotten to yet, right? We still have to get there. So uh, people like you, you're, you're helping start start and keep those conversations going. And uh, we appreciate appreciate you taking time today and, and talking about all these different subjects. So really, it's great to catch up with you all these years later, and we're, we're glad you're doing great. Yeah, man. Thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that we had this conversation. Uh, you know, I, I feel like maybe there's more to talk about. So. <laughs> You know, if you'll have yeah. me back, I'd, I'd love All to right. come back. Well, take care and go Raptors. It begins and ends with